You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. come into the church and they are causing spiritual death. Follow me. These wild gourds are people who spread false doctrines. People who spread false information. And I've gone so far as said people who spread gossip. People who are causing others to be spiritually sick. There's death in the pot. The pot is the church. God did amazing things through the prophet Elisha. He tried heroically to turn Israel's heart back to God, and he did have some success in that. And although there's no Elisha alive today, Pastor Dave's teaching will show you that God's still trying to get his people to become more heartfelt in their following him. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, as he continues his message, Elisha, a worker of miracles. I want a double portion. I want to take over your ministry. I want a double portion of your spirit so that I can take over your ministry. You have mentored me. I have followed you. I have learned about God. And now I think I'm ready to take over your ministry. And Elisha went up in the chariot of fire and his mantle fell. Elisha picks up the mantle and he now is carrying on God's word, carrying on God's plan for the nation Israel, the northern kingdom to be more precise. But he became a man of miracles, and he's starting to do these miracles, ministering to all sorts of people, and he's sharing with them the grace of God. He's sharing with them how gracious and wonderful God is by doing these miracles. And it's all throughout the northern kingdom because it seems like they have strayed from God. They're worshiping Baal, and they're worshiping idols, and they're paganistic, and God wants them back. So Elijah is in there and he's showing God to these men. He's showing God by these miracles that he's doing. He's become well known as a man of God. I mean, look at the miracles that he has done. Look at what we've studied. Right away, as he was walking back, he parted the Jordan River and walked across on dry land. He purified the bitter waters of Jericho. He helped the Israeli army by having them dig ditches that were miraculously filled with water so that they could have their animals drink and they also could drink. And then he gave them this great victory over the Moabites. During all this time, Elisha was giving glory to God. We continued and he helped the widow woman pay a debt to free her son to keep him from going into servitude by multiplying the oil. He repaid the childless Shunammite woman by showing her who who showed him kindness. He prophesied that she would have a son. And she did have a son, but the son died. And Elisha, by the grace of God and through the power of God, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, raised the son back to life. He had established himself. Elisha had established himself as a man of God, as a prophet. And his reputation 
had grown. This will become more clear when we get to chapter 5. So as we continue now in 2 Kings, Elisha returns to Gilgal. And he's faced with a problem there because there is a famine in the land. And if you turn a couple chapters ahead of time, chapter 8, in verse 1, you'll notice that Elisha is again talking to the Shunammite woman. It says, Then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. Now, one thing you need to know about the Bible, it's not always chronological. It doesn't always happen in chronological order. So we had the miracle of the Shunammite woman getting the child and then the child dying and raising from the dead. This is the same Shunammite woman now in chapter 8. And Elisha is prophesying that a famine will come. Well, here we see as he goes back to Gilgal, there is a famine in the land. And many, many believe that it's that famine that he talked about in chapter 8. This is the famine. So let's read 38 through 41 in 2 Kings. And Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to his servant, Put on a large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. So one went out into the field to gather herbs and found the wild vine and gathered it in a lapful of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. So he said, then bring some flour. And he put it into the pot and said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. So Elisha being hungry from his journey, he returns to Gilgal, which is basically his home base. And he sits with the sons of prophets. He said, remember that there might even have been a school of prophets somewhere around Mount Carmel. We weren't sure. But he tells his servant Gehazi to go and get a large pot. Turn it on boil so we're going to have some stew. And so one of the men goes out and he's going to gather items for the stew. And they started gathering gourds and from a, a wild vine. He slices them down and he throws them in the pot. But the key words there is, they didn't know what they were. <laughs> so they gathered these strange gourds, these strange things. It doesn't really say what they were. There's a lot of conjecture as to what these things were, but it doesn't say in the Bible. So where the Bible's silent, we need to be also. But they were gourds of some sort. So as they were eating, it must have tasted terrible. It must have tasted strange because as they were eating the stew, they cried out, there's death in the pot. There's death in the pot. Elijah just very calmly asked for some flour. Now, there is some translations that says meal, like cornmeal or something like that. So he asked for this. He dumps it in the pot and he says, eat. They all eat and nothing's harmful. Now, first of all, then he wrapped up the flour and he went to the market and he sold it as a healing agent. No, that's not what he did at all. That's not what he did at all. That's probably what one of us would do. You know, oh, look, healing flower. Woohoo! So, no, no. There was nothing miraculous about this meal or about this flower. There was absolutely nothing miraculous except in the hands of God. 
in the hands of God, when Elisha dumped it into the pot, God miraculously took whatever was in the pot that could have been poisonous or bad and made it good, a la the bitter water of Jericho when he threw the salt in, remember? This was not responsible for that. We, a lot here at Calvary Chapel and other churches who follow the biblical law, in James 5, 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And we say, come on up, let us anoint you with oil. And we did actually buy this oil from some place. And I tell people before I anoint them with oil, and you've probably heard me say this, there's nothing special about this oil. I mean, sometimes when we don't have this, we go back and get some good old virgin olive oil that you would make a salad with or whatever. But it represents the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in here. God is the healer. Jehovah Rapta, God is our healer. He does the healing, and the prayer of faith is what brings that on. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave. That same power, that healing power of God. It represents that. The Spirit has the healing power. It was God who turned the inedible stew into an edible stew. But Spurgeon made a really cool analogy here, and I have to share that with you. Spurgeon makes this really, really cool analogy while reading this, and regarding the, what he calls the wild gores. He said, these wild gores have actually come into the church, and they are causing spiritual death. Follow me. These wild gores are people who spread false doctrines, people who spread false information. And I've gone so far as says people who spread gossip, people who are causing others to be spiritually sick. There's death in the pot. The pot is the church. And listen to what he says about this. I love this. He says, he asks the question, what shall we do? Well, what shall we do? And I love his answer. His answer is, quote, the church must cast the blessed gospel of grace of God into the poison porridge. And the false doctrine will not be able to destroy men's soul as it does now. I love that. In other words, teaching the word of God kills the poison being spread by the wild gourds in the church. The true word of God will cast out those wild doctrines, will cast out those other things, will cause people not to gossip as they hear the word of God and they open their hearts to this. See, we live in a time of famine, folks. We live in time where there is a spiritual drought in the land. There is a spiritual drought in America, and I believe it's due to the lack of the teaching of God's word. I believe America, especially this country, is in a spiritual drought because men are teaching what they believe and not teaching the true word of the Bible. They're teaching what they believe. They read a headline and they expound on it. They teach what they believe instead of what teaching the Bible is. There are all kinds of poisonous winds of doctrine all over the world. There are all kinds of strange things out there that are being thrown into the pot. The pot is the church, honestly, in this analogy. New fads, worldly trends that are being thrown into the church at an alarming rate. And they're discounting the word of God. They're actually laying aside the word of God to follow these new trends and these new things. And people are becoming spiritually unhealthy. They're becoming spiritually dead because the word of God is not being taught. These things are poisoning the church. 
We need to pour the flower, the true word of God, into people's lives. Because it's the true word of God that gives life. It's the true word of God that changes lives. It's the true word of God that will continue you on the right path for your life. It's only the true word of God that does those things. Why? Because Christ removed the death in the pot on the cross. He removed that death. He removed that false doctrine. He removed those worldly things. On the cross, he paid for those sins. He paid for that debt. And he removed all that. We need to continually study the scriptures faithfully and consistently. As we study these things, these poisonous doctrines will fade away. We won't be looking at them anymore. We won't be chasing after them. We won't have itchy ears to hear these things. We need to know the truth that is only found in God's word. Why? Because the truth sets you free. The truth keeps you free and the truth keeps you spiritually healthy. And we need to glean that by reading this book right here. And when you throw this flower, this book, into the midst of the, of the pot, nothing harmful will come out. Nothing harmful come out, and all can partake, all can eat the word of God. And I love that analogy, and, I, and, and although I expounded on it, I love that analogy. So Elisha does this miracle by the hand of God, again showing the grace of God, because they all could have died, all these sons of prophets could have died eating this poisonous stew. But he gets no rest, because in the next section, a man comes to him and brings to him a gift. Let's read 42 through 44, finishing out chapter 4. Then a man came from Baal Shalista and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, what? Shall I set this before 100 men? He said again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Interesting. It should sound extremely familiar. Right. It is. It is a preview of what Christ did. All right. When we studied in the gospel of John where Christ fed the 5,000. But in the gospel of Matthew, he also feeds 4,000. He does it twice. Now, first of all, I don't know if I would accept anything from a guy named Baal Shalista. I don't know if I would. I'm not sure I would. His name means God that presides over three or the third idol. And Baal is the worship of idols. Baal is an idol. So this man is an idol worship. He believed that Shalista is basically the town of Seristia, which is basically 15 miles from a town called Lydda. L-Y-D-D-A, Lydda. But this man offers Elisha bread of the first fruit, 20 loaves. Immediately something's wrong here. Will somebody tell me what's wrong? What's wrong with him offering Elisha the first fruits, these 20 loaves? Well, who do the first fruits belong to? The Lord. They belong to the Lord, not to Elisha. Now, you can look about that in Leviticus 23, Numbers 18, and Deuteronomy 18. This just shows us how bad things were in the northern kingdom. This shows us how bad things were in Samaria when they, how far they had strayed from the word of God. And with the absence of the word of God, anything goes. Take away the word of God, anything goes. This is why there is a part of our country who wants to do away with all things pertaining to God. 
Take away prayer. Take away the Ten Commandments. Take away the nativity scenes. Take away all these things. Because if I do that, then there are no absolutes. And anything I say is true. What's true for me is true for you. We all have our own truth and we can do our own thing. So, But you got to get rid of God first because God is truth. With God, there are absolutes. But you got to get rid of him first. Now, before we jump down this guy's throat, we might have to give him a pass. Simply because, was he giving these loaves to Elisha because he viewed him as God's messenger and there was no other priest or prophet in the area? Don't know. Could be. We've got to give him a little bit of pass. Because in the absence of prophets and priests, this guy recognizes Elisha as a man of God. He said, well, I'll give the first fruits to him and I'll give them. If he's doing it with that kind of a heart, well, praise God, this is a good thing. So we, before we get wrong... I also love the way God uses anything that he gets. <laughs> Much like Andrew bringing the little boy with the two fishes and the five loaves. I love this. But Elisha is a great shepherd. Elisha is, well, remember folks, there's a famine in the land. I don't know where this bread came from, but there's a famine in the land. Elisha could have sat down and given it out to a couple of guys and they could have had a great feast. But Elisha, being also a good shepherd, says, let's give it to the men. Let's feed the flock. Let's feed them. And they are fed. And the Lord blesses them, and they have leftovers just as Elisha prophesied. They're full, and they have leftovers. And we said, this is a preview. This is a preview of the prophet, the greater prophet that's coming. His name is Jesus Christ. When he took the two fishes and five loaves, and he multiplied them and fed 5,000. Now, 5,000 men. Who knows how many he really fed? We don't know. And 4,000 another time. I love what Elisha's servant Gehazi says. What, shall I set this before a hundred men? Isn't that what one of the disciples said? What are you going to do? There's a thousand, could take a fortune to feed all these guys. So as Elisha prophesied, they all ate and there was plenty. But speaking of the first fruit, again, given to us by this worshiper of Baal, God even uses this to feed these hungry guys. I think that's interesting. God even used this to feed these hungry guys. Remember, there was a famine and food was scarce. The first fruit was given to Elisha. He presented it to God and God multiplied it. Which brings me back. What about your first fruits? What are you doing with your first fruits? To whom are you offering your first fruits? First fruits of finances, first fruits of time, first fruits of any talent that the Lord has given you, first fruits of your energy. What are you doing with these first fruits that God has given to you graciously? Are you giving them back to God? I guarantee if you do, God will multiply them and you will be blessed beyond belief. God will multiply them and there's always plenty left over. So we end chapter four with these two really cool stories of Elisha doing these miracles. The miracle man strikes again. And then we come into chapter five and there's this really interesting story about a guy by the name of Naaman. All right, let's read verse one of chapter five. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. So we see some descriptors about Naaman. He was a mighty man of valor. He was honorable. He was a commander of the Syrian army. He was well esteemed by his master because the Lord had given him a victory through his hand. But, but, 
But I love what one commentator said. I love this. I have to tell you this. One commentator said this, quote, no matter how good your situation is on this side of eternity, there's always going to be a but. Always going to be a but on this side of eternity. Look at 1B. Naaman was a leper, but he was a leper, a leper. What's interesting here is, this is an aside, Elijah is mentioned some 20 times in the New Testament. But Elisha is only mentioned once in Luke 4. In what reference? The healing of Naaman. It's the only time he is mentioned by Jesus himself about the healing of Naaman in the Bible in Luke 4. Luke records it for us. Leprosy is a disease. It starts out with little small spots that spread very quickly. Eventually, they start to eat away your hands, your arms, your eggs, and eventually you die an incredibly horrible death. There is no cure for leprosy. In the Bible, leprosy is always representative of sin. Always representative of sin. Think about it. How does most sin begin in our lives? Something small, something kind of insignificant, we think, and then it kind of multiplies, and it kind of multiplies, and it kind of gets bigger, and pretty soon it causes pain and death. So leprosy is a picture of sin. Nathan was a very well-to-do man. He had everything going for him, but he had leprosy, just like sin Leprosy is no respecter of person. Sin is no respecter of a person. Well, how can I say that? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's how I can say that. So sin is no respecter of a person. It doesn't matter, no matter how much you make or how much you don't make, how much you have or how much you don't have, another matter. It doesn't matter about male or female. It doesn't matter about ethnicity. It doesn't matter. Sin strikes our life. Leprosy can strike a life in these days. Look at 2 and 3. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. I love this. Back in that time when enemies attacked each other, they would usually kill all the men and they would take all the women and children with them off and they would make them slaves or servants where they were, where they lived. During one of these raids, a young Jewish woman was kidnapped and now is serving Naaman's wife. And she obviously knows of Naaman's disease and she says, gee, if only my master would go to the prophet in Samaria. Remember, Samaria is the same name for the northern kingdom of Israel. If only they would go to Samaria. And I love this. I love this little girl. You are This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. As you notice in the course of history, an entire nation can be led astray by following after other gods. But the leader of the nation is the one who sets the example. In so many cases in 2 Kings, the one who was in charge was himself acting wickedly or was swayed by the people who were doing evil practices. Unfortunately, you see the downfall and destruction of a nation when it chooses to stray from following after God. 
What does that mean for today? What are the patterns and practices being set into place in this nation? When you refer to history, it doesn't look promising. But that doesn't mean that you have to give in to societal pressures and practices. Your example of standing up against the norms could affect others around you. You never know who's observing and how they might change their own perspective based on your example. If you have any questions about what you heard today, you can reach us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We encourage you to keep looking to Scripture for answers about all of life's questions. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. If you want to hear this message again or others like it, you'll be able to find them on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Don't forget to join us again next time to learn more valuable lessons in 2 Kings right here on Assure Hope.